Welcome everyone to What the Force, and welcome back to Once Upon a Time in the Outer Rim, where we are covering Mandalorian Season 3. I'm Marie-Claire Gould, your host, and with me once again is my good friend and yours, Alex Kane. Hey, thanks for having me back. Welcome back, Alex. We, uh... We got to take some detours with Obi-Wan and Andor for a while, and now we're back in uh, the land of the Mandalorians. Well, yeah. I mean, we did cover Book of Boba Fett, which in some ways was sort of required watching for this season, just to set you up for success, which is okay. Yeah. Yeah, we had like three shows last year. Yeah, there was a lot. Maybe they need to slow it down just a a titch, (laughs) just for me, just as a favor for me. Yeah. This show covers Star Wars and the Mandalorian cinematic universe from a mythical fairy tale, uh, sometimes Western referenced uh, deep dive perspective. So what does that mean? Well, we use Joseph Campbell, Jungian psychology, talk about symbolism and theme and archetypes, as well as other mythic concepts to really talk about the show and deep dive into perhaps a little bit more about what it's saying in those layers underneath. Uh, Just a reminder to like like and subscribe on your podcast app of choice or on YouTube. It helps you keep up to date with all of the episodes that will be coming out. And just to announce, I now have merch. <laughs> there will be a link in the liner notes if you're interested in any of those shirts or other things that you can get with some really sweet designs on them. Uh Also, if you're interested in supporting the show, feel free to look for the link for Kofi. Or, of course, Patreon is a great way to support the show. I often put other fun stuff out there and try to release the episodes just a little bit earlier on there. All right, let's dig into some general pre-thoughts. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this uh, since I noticed in this first episode that Brendan Wayne and Latif Frowder were credited. So those are the body doubles, the the Mandalorian in in suit form uh, for Pedro Pascal. And they were actually credited this episode, which I think is just such a huge improvement and really, really great. So I'm very proud of the show for finally doing that. But then again, like they haven't credited other people in the past. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, And this kind of gets me to the thought that like critique is good. You know, Mm -hmm. like we're not meaning it in a mean way if we critique something about the show. We're just trying to hope that somebody out there listens and it becomes a thing enough that maybe they improve it in the future. And so that's for, you know, sometimes topics are insensitive. Sometimes they don't hit right. Or even just as simply giving people that spend 90% of the time on screen their credit. Even if they're covered with a mask and armor. That also being said, we have also critiqued in the past the lack of using names in the shows. Mm -hmm. And everybody used names. Yeah. (laughs) This episode. It it stood out. Yeah. Did it stand out to you? I. Oh, definitely. It's like everybody was like, okay, this is for Marie Claire. Marie Claire, you better notice that everybody's using their names. It's like a thing. I, I have literally been razzing on. John Favreau for years about this. Yeah. I'm proud of you, John. <laughs> you had some other thoughts as well. Yeah. I mean, I just, it was, you know, coming off of Andor, I think a lot of people wanted to have kind of a, you know, strong reaction to this one way or the other. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I thought that it was, it was a really strong season opener. I don't think that it was a complete story, though. It felt like it was. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. like a part part one of an of an episode arc, or you know, leaving a lot yeah. open, but like resettling us where we are. Yeah, very much like the calm before the storm. Yeah, it's sort of like nice to be back in that world, you know, see Carl Weathers, and you know, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like. They, they got a new composer credited, Joseph Shirley, um, yep. which was interesting. So he he did apparently work on Book of Boba Fett as well. Oh, okay, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, so uh, Creed Three is like his new thing that just came out like tonight, I think. And then mm. he did like Jackass Forever, but uh, yeah. So Louis Goranson uh, is is very busy now doing all kinds of different things. So. <laughs> um, I think he did Wakanda forever and there's a new documentary out about that music. So mm-hmm. Dean Cundy shot this premiere episode, my favorite cinematographer. He, uh, he did that book of Boba episode that we raved about episode two with the train. Um, he did. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, great episode. Um, so yeah, he was the one with the camera for that. And I think he did one or two others maybe. And he's sort of famous for Halloween escape from New York and back to the future. Um, and it's kind of interesting that, you know, you have this stagecraft technology, the Lucasfilm is sort of loaning out to everybody now, you know, yeah. the volume, it's sort of become very important for like a lot of reasons. Like it's just sort of, uh, it's well, practical. The, the most cost beautiful saving. episode of Willow was shot oh, right. in the stagecraft volume. Is that like episode five? You're Seven. Talking about? Seven. Oh, okay. I can't yeah. remember what the numbers were. <laughah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but beyond, I remember Beyond how the Shattered Sea, and it was just like a gorgeous episode. It's like a, an ocean of purple stars and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was so gorgeous. Yeah. And uh, like kind of the like the the dominant thinking is that like Greg Frazier, who shot the Batman and has worked on like Rogue One. He was a cinematographer mm-hmm. for Rogue One, I guess is like his other main thing. Um, he's sort of like really good at the volume. So it seems like maybe Dean Cundy is doing Star Wars now to to kind of fill those shoes and be like, okay, we need like another guy who's like a traditional cinematographer who like knows the nuts and bolts of making beautiful images and like, mm-hmm. you know, getting them to tinker with stagecraft and, and kind of uh, like, you know, consulting on it. But uh you know, yeah, getting like, credits on Star Wars shows at the same time. Like fleshing it out a little bit so it feels uh, like bigger space too. You know, like yeah. that's always the secret with green screen is can you make it feel like it's not just green screen, you know? And yeah. that's, that's the key. I didn't watch this episode with an eye toward like, okay, what's like the volume and what's mm-hmm. not. But like it looked. It did. Whatever that means. Uh if it, if it was like largely shot in the volume, like it looks damned impressive, um, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, that's good. Like, I'm glad if they're, if they're sticking to that and improving the technology and getting experts to play with it more and more, like uh, more power to them. Um, but yeah, it, it's like mostly a visual episode, just kind of setting the scene. But uh, it's like, yeah, resettling I, I us back into the Mandalorian world. It feels like they, yeah, they definitely like set the stage for the season. It does, it does feel like you know, like the premiere. Um, the people that went to the premiere got to see two episodes. It does feel like maybe we needed both episodes. Yeah, they did that so. with like Obi Wan and uh, 
Yeah, it would have yeah, been Willow. nice. Willow had two Willow episodes two. premiere. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It would have been nice. Would have been nice, yeah. But I understand, you know, wanting to stretch it out and do what they did. Um, yeah. There's, there's some thematic elements I just kind of want to remind people of because it has been a little bit of time since we've touched base in the Mandalorian universe. Over a year since Bo- Book of Boba Fett. Um, there's a large theme of the Mandalorian not only meaning Din Djarin as an individual, the micro universe, mm-hmm. him and Grogu working through their things together, but the Mandalorian meaning plural, right? The the people, all of these disparate types of people. And throughout the episode, we are constantly reminded that the Mandalorian is more than just, just Din Djarin and what he cares yeah. about, right? So that's really, really important. And that's... The ties actually quite well into another thematic element that we've talked about since the start of the show that Dindajaran is almost filling this role and so are the other Mandalorians of a, almost a, a direct parallel to Arthurian roundtable knights. And this is like the pre-time before Arthur collected all the knights together to build Camelot, mm-hmm. right? It, it really gives that vibe. Uh, they all kind of live by different codes. What happens if you break your code of honor, right? Your creed. Uh, Mandalorian actually rides around on a space horse or like a motorcycle. In fact, I feel like the N1 Starfighter is starting to make more and more motorcyclish noises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's very like Aaron night of him and that is repeated throughout this episode too in different ways and it you know this is very highly tied to the grail quest so in this universe what is the grail well it's the magical child it's grogu he is the elixir of the story he brings the healing to the different lands that he visits with his protector din djarin okay what is the elixir of the story well it's love and compassion right and Mm. also he represents the future because he is a child great great stuff right Mm -hmm. it's absolutely cool this all ties into you know wanting masculinity to be more nurturing and to nurture a better future great stuff but i think it's important to like preset expectations because this has been a thematic element that has been consistent through both seasons and now this episode yep a lot of emphasis placed on like the importance of the armor and then also the dark saber was like the big thing Mm -hmm. in season two but you know that was what 2020 that was a while ago well and it's it's brought up again and it's this like unifying symbol so very much like excalibur but i don't know 100 percent if it's gonna be dins in the end you know you know what i'm saying like i I don't know um he's certainly reluctant to even own it it seems yeah so (laughs) we will see yeah it's that that funny thing about like a somebody who would make a good king doesn't want to be a king you know it's kind of the cliche and the line he fits that most reluctant who will serve yeah 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 any any other thematic thoughts you have before we about the overarching episode yeah. well and also um, like the, the show itself just to settle us back into the mandalorian world yeah it's a well it's a nice bit of like resetting the status quo because they did do some important things in book of boba fett and um it's been a long time since that season mm-hmm. two and so um it's almost like we're back in season one in some meaningful ways. Like 
I felt that repression as well. Like it was like a big important thing that like a bunch of his people were either like scattered or lost or killed. Um, Mm -hmm. And we sort of opened with like a young man of like 12 or 13 and and, like all these Mandalorians who, you know, sort of serve the armorer or are with the armorer who Mando was originally. And um, so it's like this community has healed a little. It's like got some numbers and it's sort of business as usual. And, and Mando you know, he has Grogu, but he's still going back home. What does the like the fact that they're kind of like in a desert in a cave? Oh, and, interesting. And like it's literally like the same old, same old again and again. Mm-hmm. What it like she's literally in a cave, so she's like in the underworld, and yeah. mm-hmm. she is making a way to trap them in a period of I. I would even call it containment. Oh, okay. The helmet symbolism. Yeah. What do you yeah. think about that? What does it yeah, say I mean, to you? I think we've talked about the armorer as like sort of a dark goddess type figure. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't seen her face. She is basically speaks in scripture, you know? Yeah. The equivalent it's, of, you know. It's very like mythological, archetypical speech, you know? Like it's yeah. very like, this is the way. This is what we must do. You know, like she doesn't, and nor does she show or dis- displays of empathy or compassion. Um, there's a, there's a, in my opinion, there's a socialization of masculinity that the, the armor and the mask is... Uh, protective obviously but what is it protecting people from oh you like the the squishy parts the emotion the eyes and the soul yeah, and all that the, the soul <laughs> the the growth the character growth the moments that we have had that have been the most touching, of course, have been when Din is chosen to take the helmet off, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. connect with Grogu, or he had to take the helmet off to be healed, or he had to take the helmet off to protect Grogu, or to find out the the next thing, right? So the those moments are always incredibly powerful when they happen. But in some ways, when you're working towards transcendence, and like transcendence being that you're integrating disparate aspects of yourself. There's going to be a period of time where you're kind of an egg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like you're you're in an egg-like shape. You have a hard exterior and you are being contained and essentially being ready to be reborn. And it feels like there's a connection to thematically what has happened to Mandalore being that the entire surface is made of glass and all of these Mandalorians that will not allow themselves to build emotional connections and grow. Yeah. I mean, the second episode of the show is called the egg and that, you know, that glass imagery is interesting. Like, I don't know. It makes me think of like a chrysalis, you know, mm-hmm. like the, like there's this shell around Mandalore, but it's uh, temporary, maybe. Um, and and the thing you said about um, regressing and suppressing the soul that that comes up again later in the episode, which is fun. Like he's he's not too subtle about that. No, I feel like these symbols are very, very on the nose. Like people, I think, get very confused because of Din himself saying what he wants uh, versus maybe um, what we know he needs, right? So there's a little bit of confusion, I think, in some people, right? Because although 
it's interesting. I notice people don't chant this is the way as much anymore. Like they're not they don't uh, they don't like that. Like it's not something that you see on Twitter. Oh, like fans. Yeah, fans yeah. are really tired of that, I think, just because it's like, yeah, like we need a new thing or something. But Yeah, or uh, you know, maybe they start to recognize that maybe this isn't the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. There's um, there's kind of something in that too. Yeah, I mean, it's like if if somebody was uh, I don't know, like a really big fan of like Darth Vader or Kylo Ren, but was like really against like Anakin Skywalker and like the Ben Solo redemption act or whatever, <laughs> you know, no, 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 he's evil. Um, oh, there, I'm sure, I'm sure there's people that are, th- there's there. definitely, yeah. definitely are. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's yeah, important it's because it, it certainly feels like a purposeful choice to socialize mostly masculine looking people to not have emotions. Mm-hmm. That's very symbolic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you're not allowed to connect with people and you're not allowed to see <laughs> people's faces and you're not allowed to have genuine like eye to eye, soul to soul connections. Okay, lady. <laughs> <laughs> the armor is on my girl list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we see, yeah, this young man. How old would mm-hmm. you say he was? Like 12? I, I wanted to say 12 to 13, but, yeah. you know, it's hard to tell, I guess. The Star Wars age. Yeah. Interesting. In Star Wars, it's sort of like a zero to five thing. You never really know. Like, uh, <laughs> well, it could be a range George of years. George said 12 recently, so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but she she gives him the oath, and oaths are, uh, you know, of course, tied to knighthood. Uh, oftentimes, knights are bathed before they take their oaths because oh, they yeah. they want to be cleansed of, like, their past and to take on the oaths clearly and that is the only thing in their heart so it felt very knightly as well in that aspect mm-hmm. and it's almost like these are like remnants from like a knight knight clan or like something from the past and then yeah you know she puts the helmet on this kid after he completes his oath and she has this like cup and she's about to dip it in the water and about to pour it over him which is um maybe one of the most christian things we've seen in mandalorian to date yeah i think a so. baptism yeah i think so half in the water the water, of course, being like a birth. There's certainly an aspect of death and rebirth. This being an initiation of sorts into a new way of life. Uh, and we always enter into an initiation in this kind of liminality. So like the water is very important. There's an aspect of uh, holiness. Like like it's very it's very ceremonial. The whole community's there, etc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but. It is not to be. <laughs> Why? Oh, oh. because of the giant beast attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you think of this? Um, it's sort of like just the realities of the world that they live in crashing through and sort of uh complicating their like illusions, right? Is kind of how I took it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I think that John Favreau has a pretty positive um like sort of regard for religion and ritual. Like, I mean, that's mm-hmm. sort of what I get from the show. But then you have sort of like the material world, you have uh, you know, like all the problems we have in our world. And so to me, this giant beast is just sort of like a reminder of that. Like, um, you know, People... the armorer's creed is very inflexible. 
Yeah. And like people would view an interruption in a ceremony like this, like say somebody was about to be crowned king or Mm -hmm. knighted an interruption like this to be prophetic. Yeah. Like an omen. Like it's an omen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Um, this this symbolizes something. So we have a there is actually an alligator snapping turtle that actually exists in fresh water that looks like basically kind of like like this, uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, much smaller. But it is sort of like a crocodile uh, turtle yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yep. And of course, um, turtles represent longevity, healing and transformation. And crocodiles also represent wisdom and sort of keepers of all knowledge. Mm. And so... This is like they're being attacked by the fact that they're not growing. Yeah. And like turtles, <laughs> don't the turtle, like they keep their shell for life, right? For life. Like, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like it's dangerous for these Mandalorians to not grow. It's interesting. There's crocodiles themselves also are a symbol of renewal and growth. And when you see them, it's a time to integrate changes into your life so this group is obviously not changing they're not transforming they're stuck in their shells they're i mean anytime you see armor on 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 screen armor with a mask specifically it's people are stuck in an underworld case basically it's vader is in a walking coffin you know boba fett was kind of stuck as this death dealer mercenary um it it certainly symbolizes a halt in growth yeah and the stormtroopers always look kind of like just skeletons skeletons yeah like stuck in the underworld right and this crocodile turtle is there to remind them transformation's coming for you (laughs) (laughs) and mando shows up it was like he was waiting for his chance to be a hero it was very yeah. interesting. Yeah, his timing was definitely a little uh, theatrical. He he was like, I'm gonna, you know, show my value here. <laughs> I'm useful. Uh, yeah. And he he absolutely shows that he has skills and access to things that the rest of the Mandalorians don't have in in this group, right? Mm-hmm. He shows them that he has alternative ways of acting they don't have. Because they're, I mean, it's like 20 against the turtle and the turtle's like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much like a, we must dominate nature because it, you know, there's crocodiles in our church. And then, uh, yeah, he basically just, the ship, you know, stops it pretty pretty quickly right so pretty quickly and it's it's sort of the difference between foot soldiers and a knight with a horse oh a horse yeah that's a good call yeah right (laughs) Uh, with the lance right they were always very dangerous a horse made you very very powerful and none of these knights have horses and to me like this young kid getting um sort of baptized and getting his blue painted helmet and all that um and sort of swearing the oath to the creed he, like he kind of reminds us that like that whole foundling concept of like where Din comes from, you know, mm-hmm. like this idea that he was sort of adopted into this community as like a, you know, somebody orphaned by war. And then so it kind of it reminds us like why this community that sort of shuns him and calls him an apostate, like why he thinks they're still important, you know, yeah. despite having, you know, grief and Grogu and um, grief's a fun name. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, all these, you know, people and he still he still wants to go back there because he is grateful for kind of, you know, who they made him 
unlike Vader, who is less grateful for who Obi-Wan made him, I guess, by <laughs> contrast in the recent I mean, Obi-Wan show. To be fair, he lost three limbs. Yeah, yeah. Had already, you know, lost the other one. So Yeah, didn't look like that was a comfortable uh, thing that happened on Mustafar. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but surprisingly, the armor is not thankful to him. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you had to have it replaced, like, the minute he ventured off and in, uh, what, chapter two, I guess. Oh, oh no, I meant, like, just that oh. she, she, uh, she's oh. not thankful for him saving them. She doesn't oh, say yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, um... I don't know, in like a crime movie or something where mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't know. I think of like the Fast and the Furious where Paul Walker like protects Vin Diesel from the cops. And he's like, I guess we're straight now. And he's like, no, you still owe me a 10 second car or whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, just like Fast and the Furious. Just like Fast uh, and the Furious. Yeah, he still still has to atone and, and find redemption, even though he saved all their asses basically from the giant croc monster. Yeah. He, uh, you know, she, she still calls him an apostate, which of course is a person who has renounced their religion or political beliefs or principles. And, um, essentially is, is shunned by the community that they came from and has left them. Um, and you know, she reminds him that he removed his helmet and worse, he did so willingly. So it wasn't even like he could have like begged off, but he admitted to all of that, which mm-hmm. happened in Book of Boba Fett. So, and those that episode that's on like the space station with Bryce yeah. Dallas Howard is so mm-hmm. good. Like it's so oh, yeah. good. I just wish it had been that episode as the first episode. I know that's just not possible, but I just, you know, sigh. Yeah, I did really <laughs> like that episode. That was where we got like, Probably more of the sort of Mandalorian like lore uh, in in this show than like anywhere else or these two shows rather. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, that um, was a good one. And I think that it's really important to point out that like based on what he's doing, which is that he's seeking guidance from a parental figure, that is the archetypical thing we needed to know that he has reverted from an archetype perspective. He's now not really a hero again <laughs> he hasn't really grown he's kind of back to where he was at the end of the first season yeah like the episode that you just referenced um with like the ring world and book of boba he, he's got the sword he's got excalibur but he doesn't have grogu and so he goes running back to his original community and um yeah. you know he's sort of yeah doing the job that he was doing before the grogu yeah. quest um, and even now we see that he's reverted because he's reliant on the armorer for acceptance yeah. and direction. And so being yep. being reliant on a parental figure means that you're not a fully realized hero. You're more in a maiden stage from an archetypical perspective or more like young adult. Like mm-hmm. he's... He's a dad, yeah, but is he doing all the things that he needs to do? No, he kind of acts like a teenager. Yeah, and like Ray had like Han and Leia, but historically, mm-hmm. that's a really dangerous place to be in Star Wars is like that adolescent looking up to the parent, you know, because yeah. you 
you really typically think of Palpatine, Snoke, or Obi-Wan's failure, quote unquote, mm-hmm. if you want to look at it that way. Um, you know, and, you know, and like, what did Luke experience to get him out of that phase? Well, his, literally the death of his parental figures. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and death is not necessarily required. Sometimes it just has to be outright rejection. And previously, he hasn't really had a chance to reject the armorer who is his mother, for a lack of better term. Yeah. And he is his the parental figure in his life who has given him all of his knowledge. Yep. Yeah, she's like, we, you know, there's no vulnerability to her yet. There's no, we don't know who she is. Like, mm-hmm. if if we are ever going to learn that, we haven't seen her face, you know. And she's sort of just, um, you know, there's not a lot of, like, grace there. Like, if you tell her what she wants to hear, then maybe yeah, she'll be like, you know, this is the way or whatever. But and most of the time, you although, know, she's disappointed. Although she's sending him on quests, he- she is preventing him from growth. Yeah. Right? She's right. a threshold guardian and that's often parental figures. So a yeah. threshold guardian is somebody like a dragon or a parent or, uh, you know, somebody that stands in the way of you experiencing and going on a journey for transformation. Mm-hmm. He thinks he still has to do things the way the rest of the community that he grew up in would do them. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter four, Cara Dune was like, you can do anything you want. You can like retire and marry this beautiful woman here and your kid can like grow up and have a happy normal life and he's like thinking about the armor basically like no yeah. i have to i have to keep my sort of goddess mother uh happy yeah. at peace yeah 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 and so he talks about how like you know the creed speaks of redemption and that he's gonna he's willing to do this right to make her happy uh and uh so he shows the glass inscription that was given to him by some jawas who had been to mandalore the glass is there the inscription which is in mandalorian um and the redditor uh general anubis actually uh looked at it and immediately knew that it was actually a Bible quote from the King James Bible from Exodus. And it's the part where it talks about the plague of locusts that comes to Egypt with Moses. So, and they shall cover the earth that one cannot be able to see the earth and that they shall eat the residue of of that which is escaped and which remaineth upon you from the hail and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of this field. So it's the plague of locusts. Mm. And it's basically showing symbolically that nothing can grow and you cannot nurture for fulfillment, which is effectively Mandalore, right? Mm -hmm. Under this like sort of destruction that has happened, but also on the microcosm, all of these little Mandalorians, they can't yeah. grow. Yeah. They can't be nourished. They can't transform. Yeah. You say plague of a thousand locusts and I, I picture the, the tie bombers from the, that scene of like the night of a thousand tears or whatever. Like, um, yeah. So the, the fusion rays have crystallized the planet. Mm-hmm. Well, like being under a helmet. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um like they just can't seem to get rid of the the damn imperials, right? Like that's kind of the running theme of of this era is that we beat the, the empire at uh Endor, but like you know, they just keep coming back because you got all these different sort of splinter admirals and mm-hmm, loyalists mm-hmm. and the Sith Eternal and yada yada. So, um yeah. 
feels like they're continuing to to sow the seeds of the um the first order basically and the sequel era but uh they sort of hinted at that even what in in like Mandalorian season 1 press like they said that would kind of happen yeah i think they, so they kinda... they're tying they're tying stuff together yeah yeah mando says you know i will go and bathe in the living waters of the mines of mandalore oh goodness okay <laughs> There's a lot in here. So first of all, I've talked about mind symbolism a lot in my podcast, but minds sort of have three meanings in Star Wars. Um, the one meaning is sort of the fabled lost mind. So you think of like the lost minds of Solomon or like I'm a prospector and I have a map to a lost mind. That's the idea of like the f- folklore fable of like there's a r- easy way to get rich, right? The yeah. easy path concept it's very classic american western idea right i've got yeah absolutely i've got the deed to a lost mine there's the consumption and corruption concept of mines which is you know that mines are used to dig into the earth and are often used by organizations or the empire to uh consume and corrupt both the people that work in the mines but also the world and the land right so it's like in opposition of nature and balance because you're industrializing things that really shouldn't happen yeah sort of that colonial britain stuff yeah there's a third one which is in a in a very recent episode of the bad batch uh there's a an equitable mine which Mm. is that it is used with the people in mind and there's some sort of um, equitability about the mind. The only other version of that mind that I've seen in canon is Bespin. So we now have two versions of that, which this is none of those. This is the lost mind, or this is the first one, which is the fabled lost mind idea that there's something hidden secret in the mind being the living waters. Mm. It's underneath it, right? Underneath it means deeper in the subconscious. And when you say like Bespin, are you saying like a mind that benefits the whole community yes and that is actually like the mine itself is like not technically a mine it's like gathering the gases that are there because there's like a there's like a renewable way the gases are there so it's not even like harming yeah there's like those giant floating like creatures like yeah they like fart and then they you, they <laughs> yeah. collect the gas and then yeah like the the mine weird. seems not to harm anything basically yeah, yeah yeah or like it's in balance with the population and more people are it's not being used in a consumptive way that only benefits mm-hmm. a particular group or person that's the key okay yeah. uh living waters let's talk about living waters this is our uh third christian reference in a very short scene. Living waters refers to non-still or dead water. So moving water, rivers, there's a flow to it, right? And the idea is that Christ is the living waters of Eden, i.e. the flow of the purity of the promised land Eden uh, flows through him and is given to people through his words and through the grail <laughs> and blesses things right <laughs> um what is the grail in the show well uh we Grogu, right so yeah, yeah i mean <laughs> like you know to me i always go back to this passage uh where yoda is like i think it's where he's lightsaber fighting with palpatine in the episode three novel and it, like it uh he calls him like 
an avatar of green, the color of life or something like that. He goes real poetic with the Yoda passage. And <laughs> that, that always stuck with me that it, it's no accident that Yoda is green and so is his lightsaber. You know, that's. Yeah. Um, and they're using that here with the crystal being green and. Yeah. Everything you just said as well. like and, it's, um, and so he says, if I can bring proof that I've bathed in the living waters of Mandalore. And then we hear Grogu coo and the armorer yeah. looks directly at him and she agrees. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like in my notes, I sort of put the, the way she was talking about the living waters is very sort of like Mithril in the Tolkien, right? You know, that mm -hmm. kind of uh, sacred substance, but also... What's it's supposed to be like the elixir, right? Like that is yeah. the elixir of the story, which is that secret thing that you can bring into yourself and transform. And then you can bring back to the community and the community can grow mm -hmm. and transform. Okay. So what's really cool about the water of life is that it actually flows between opposites in alchemical symbolism. So masculine to feminine, life to death. And it's like saying this is the way or the third way or mm. the way in between things. Yeah, Isn't that which, cool? <laughs> yeah. And and also like the crystal, you know, it, it's, it's reminiscent of a kyber crystal, which mm -hmm. is very important in the sort of canon disney era of star wars because we know that there was this legendary ancient jedi tar Visla, who wielded the dark saber and he was both a mandalorian and a jedi, jedi. and there's like a balance makes, between the two yeah, makes grogu very important in that way i mean well it, if we want to say he's a jedi yeah like we might get din actually becoming jedi like right yeah you know and then grogu becoming more mandalorian i don't know or just they balance each other out and we experience a sort of alchemical union between the two of them sure yeah like a like a symbolic dyad right yeah 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 yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah which i mean <sighs> examples of alchemical union very very briefly inside of star wars the kiss between anakin and padme in episode two uh mm. vader's hand and luke looking at vader's hand in episode six mm. <laughs> uh kylo and ray in the throne room in tlj kylo and ray passing the lightsaber back and forth in episode nine good stuff yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh so she agrees. She's like, yeah, go ahead. I guess this is the way if you if you can do the impossible. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, she's just kind of like knock yourself out. Yep. Yeah. Go go die on the poisoned planet. <laughs> <laughs> and they travel through hyperspace on his uh magical space horse or motorcycle. And this moment is breathtaking. So good. It might be the best scene in The Mandalorian to date. <laughs> to date. It's gorgeous. Um, we have Grogu kind of looking around and and like hyperspace in, in general is gorgeous and using uh, stagecraft, the volume to create it and to have it come off the puppet and make it feel live and like tangible was just yeah. such an a beautiful choice the lights mm -hmm. it was such a cool effect and you see like this moment is so gentle and you see the purgle like the big one show up next to him and he sees it and it's like grogu's calling them because suddenly they're all around him oh interesting okay they sort of gather they, they came closer to him 
Interesting. They flowed with him. It was like a flow, like they're fl- like they're going in the ocean or something together. Yeah, I did a little googling and Wikipediaing because you know, to me, Purgles, I just think of uh, Rebels and, mm-hmm. and season four especially. And I don't know that there's many like uh, the space whales. They haven't showed up very often just then. Yeah, um, which is cool because. For all kinds of reasons, but apparently like in Star Wars lore, like Purgles basically, you know, because they had the ability to travel through hyperspace that inspired the development of hyperdrive travel oh. like in the galaxy. And so, you know, I'm thinking about like the way Rebels season four kind of evolved Star Wars with like the world between worlds mm-hmm. and like Ezra Bridger sort of like hurling himself through time in a weird way, like into parts unknown, right? Like, you know, expands Star Wars in such an, an interesting and weird way. Yeah. And, and like Grogu is sort of this like eternal baby who represents like the distant future mm-hmm. that, you know, and so uh, it's like this interesting parallel of like Ezra and, and Grogu into like the, you know, yeah, and presumably the era of like Rey's Jedi Order or whatever. Yeah, there's definitely like a connection to the natural worlds that both him and Ezra had, right? This connection to animals and the magical child sort of realizing that you're part of something bigger than you even realize. That's also like a message for the children in the audience, too. Like this really does yeah. create a sense of wonder. It would be really cool to see it's on a big screen, truthfully. Um, yeah, yeah. And sort of be immersed by it. And it's almost overwhelming to him. And so Grogu like crawls through his little like whatever hatch and crawls into his dad's lap. I love this yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, yeah, just peaceful, yeah. like dad and baby moment. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's reminiscent of like, if you took a kid to like an aquarium and he's like looking against the glass at the fish and yeah, just that kind of, in my notes, I said like that, that awareness, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, like and, there are things I've never seen and maybe will never understand about the world. Yeah. Yeah. The unknown and, and yeah. also like um, maybe that recognition of like, oh, I'm a part of this weird universe that has <laughs> hyperspace lanes and giant yeah. whales and. And like Joseph Campbell talks about it as the great mystery, right? That mm. that that's what drives us to keep on asking questions. The great mystery. They they quickly arrive at Navarro and I love the shot of the community from sort of the atmosphere and them coming in yeah. because you can see how much green there is. Yeah. Used to be very like sort of gravel. <laughs> yeah. And like dark and like there was kind of like cloudiness to the community too but it was it was clear and you can see the thriving it's thriving from a societal perspective the cantina has been changed into a school there's music there's people laughing in the streets and enjoying themselves there's creation and artistry uh this is the effect of the elixir being brought to the community yeah with, with grief's character, it's kind of like that Western idea that like law and order is like a good thing. And like, you know, the good sheriff comes into town and like everybody's safe forever and ever because thank God for him. But, but there isn't a lawman um, currently. That's also oh, really true. interesting, right? Yeah, he, he doesn't. Yeah, he calls himself what the, the magistrate. The, ma- the or magistrate, something. but he he doesn't even like have like a current marshal. Right. True, true. Right. Um, 
and we see, of course, IG, the statue of him. And uh, yeah, Grief uh, Karga shows up and Din's like, Magistrate Karga. And he's like, that's high, Magistrate Karga to you. <laughs> yeah. And you see his like cape with the little cape droids that are holding up his yeah. cape to not get dirty. I'm obsessed with them. Very king-like. Well, there's a certain amount of like... I don't know, excess, maybe? Yeah. Like, like, there's a certain amount of, like, this is teetering on, like, where is the down-to-earth actions? Right, You know? Yeah. Like, I, I I, don't know. There's something There's something in this. Yeah, we don't see, like, the, um, the inside of that school, I don't think. We just sort of hear about it, and he's just kind of... Yeah, we saw the school in season two. Grogu went there and ate his, like, space macros. Oh, that is the same school. Mm-hmm. You're right, you're right, you're right. Um, well, I, I thought it was pretty rude that IG-11 got a statue and Quill didn't, for the record. Um, uh, I mean, fair. I immediately thought, like, you know, come on, now he played a role, too. <laughs> he made <laughs> IG the hero that he was. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Stay mad, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, it shows kind of like how important... You know, Navarro has become, uh, he talks about how this is now an official trade spur of the Hydean Way. The Hydean Way is is like a really interesting, it's like a hyperspace route that almost cuts the the galaxy, uh, like, I don't know, top to bottom. And it's the equivalent of like the Silk Road in sort of older European times or medieval times and Route 66, like something like that, where along this route, there are places where people need to refuel their ships. They need to, it's easier for them to get to something about hyperspace travel that is only explored kind of ever so briefly is that you kind of have to go along ways that are people know like it has to be in your databank that you can travel this and everybody knows the Hydean way and also Mm -hmm. trade locations are sort of set up along it because it is easier to travel this way that's kind of one of the things yeah it's sort of established in like a new hope and solo as well that like you you just need that and have a computer right and like yeah I guess I guess the Nile had uh, a different way of doing it, more of like a magic pirate way, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. it's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I I think that the Hydean way has been like one of the oldest like little bits of lore that I've seen cropping up in books like as long as I can remember. Um, mm-hmm. So another another example of Favreau's kind of old school approach to things, like he wants to honor kind of like the oldest. Uh, bits of star wars you know and then also throw in bits of episode nine like he he does have a big picture appreciation yeah um so grief are offers him a parcel of land so this feels very like old west you know like here's a parcel of land become my marshal and you won't just be like a dude you'll be landed gentry and you can take care of your weird frog boy his name is grogu Uh, yeah okay (laughs) whatever uh that was great yeah but like landed gentry also implies sort of like knight like you're gonna be a landed knight and it's gonna be your job to protect this village Mm mm-hmm Interesting. Yeah, kind of like a a lord or a count or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like in that you because you have that sort of place, you're responsible for taking care or protecting the people around you. They are quickly interrupted because of pirates. Mm -hmm. They still want to drink in the school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Weird, weird it's, flex. 
It's a weird flex. What did this say to you, this whole situation? I think it's just a total like power thing, right? It's just like, um, you know, we own this place. You you might think that this is your community and that it belongs mm-hmm. to everyone, but it belongs to Swamp Thing, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. captain. Um, I really love the line. You paid us for murder and mayhem inside these doors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sort of indicates that, and this is this is a really interesting thing. So, yeah, you can heal the community, but until you, you have to keep on going, right? You mm-hmm. can't just stop at your own insular place. You have to keep on going because this is now a shadow. Yeah, they're the ones that live just outside of your community, but they used your community too. And this is something that hasn't been healed, hasn't been repaired, hasn't been brought the elixir yet. Yeah. Like it's like a symptom of, you know, capitalism and greed and yeah. kind of the frontier mentality, I guess. Like that idea of just um, you know, they're not they're not like socialists or communists where they want to just like eat their fair share. They want to eat everything. Yeah, but you can't um, stop with just like transforming yourself. You have to transform you have to help transform those around you too. Right. right. You can't just stop with just the community because the community, once you start to transform it, is now a bigger community because it's now whatever it touches. Mm-hmm. Right. And so those shadow aspects, the things that you haven't dealt with, the fact that he used to pay people to murder and produce mayhem is now coming back to grief. Yeah. It's like a an interesting theme that comes up in like crime fiction or like Better Call mm-hmm. Saul or, you know, what have you. Like You're never quite decide, done. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you think that like you're this guy, but you... You know, like I, I've yeah, I've seen who you really are. And so, you know, you're always in the game and yeah. <laughs> you always answer to someone and, who you don't want to answer to. This is always like the the challenge of sort of like atonement and redemption is, you know, or even change. Right. Like I'm trying to transform and change for the better. There's going to be things you think about smoking. Right. As an example, you wanted to quit smoking. Well, like there's going to be temptation out there mm-hmm. to return to your old ways. And that's how it works. Right. There's always going to be something that's going to remind you of how things used to be. Um, yeah. And grief uh, reacts in violence. <laughs> threatening him and the pirates react back and there's more violence so this is a foreshadowing yeah this is like the lighting of the fuse of of some conflict yeah yeah and also like hey maybe this should have told you you really shouldn't have reacted in this way grief and this is gonna come back to bite you didn't yeah and he could have said something like what can i do for you type of thing instead maybe there could have been a different solution than a violent one and yeah um Din is going to have to, Din Din feels a connection with this community. He is part of this community, so he feels responsible for it, too. Yeah. That's important, too, even if he refuses to be the marshal. (laughs) I love how, like, the lines that uh, the Mandalorians say are always like, I can't be your marshal. Like, I got this thing I got to (laughs) do. It's just always very, like, on the nose. I don't know. I'm on a quest. Yeah. (laughs) I got a quest to do. I got a fetch me quest to do. Yeah. Or I got to go bathe in this thing. But first, this is like a side quest. Uh, He's like, I really need my droid friend back. (laughs) Yeah, I loved this whole thing. Why do you think he needs IG-11? Um, Well, I I did have some, like, sort of stray thoughts about, like, perhaps IG would have, like, a video recording of... That would somehow get 
Mando and Good Graces with the armor, but it's it's probably something a lot more simple and symbolic than that. More like a, you know, the fact that this droid is really good at protecting Grogu, and you know, is willing to sacrifice you know his life to do that. Um, you know, the implication of these this sequence is like this droid has a soul. Um, you know, not just any droid will do. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I. I totally agree with all of that, that like there's there's an aspect of, you know, he knows if he needs him to take care of Grogu, IG-11 or the one that he knew would. Um, It also sort of represents for him redemption is possible. Oh, right. Because Quill helped him become not a murder robot. Yeah. And and Mando like began the series like in the death trade, basically. Yeah, that's yeah. a good Yeah, good call. Like He is like he is like a a surrogate him if Grogu needed him. Yeah. Right? Redemption is possible. And what do we see immediately? IG11 has reverted to murder man. Favreau loves the Terminator uh movies, I think. He like comes back to those again and again in these series. Uh like Michael Bean was in an episode um, this is like a scene straight out of the original Terminator, and then uh, even yeah, like the, the crawling the, across the floor and like grabbing yeah, things. Yeah, totally the climax of the you original know, Terminator. I am utterly surprised to see IG Eleven back again, but it works thematically with the reversion, with the you know how Mando has reverted. It works well with what he IG Eleven represents. He's like Quill's son, and so having him yeah. along on the quest is like help from Quill and. And also his redeemed friend. I love it. Yeah. It's a total surprise. And I just, yeah, I like the fact that he's like, you know, trying to resurrect a character that we thought had just been kind of, you know, exited stage left. Like, I don't know. It's just a good feeling. And maybe it was all the, all the crap he got from Brick Fumuyua when it's like, well, <laughs> why did you need to kill IG? Well, it needed to happen. They're like, but why? <laughs> oh, in one of those Disney plus specials, yeah. do they say that? Yeah. I, I love, I love when they push back uh, against John. Cause I think John is a really warm, good human. Yeah. And then, but I also think that, it's nice when people challenge his instincts yeah, too. Like, uh, I don't think you get so it, great. dude. Like we didn't need to kill off IG11. It's sort of it's sort of like the name thing. It's sort of like including, you know, the Mandalorian body doubles and the credits. Like this yeah. guy's learning. Yeah, I think so. And um, it does it does sort of feel like WTF season two of the Mandalorian though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like why? Okay. But whatever. I love seeing that IG Eleven might be coming back. Yeah. I mean, I, I so loved him. happy. Yeah. He was he was amazing. Um, and I have always just kind of loved like There's droids no in Star in the Wars ship for him though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He's gonna have to get his own ship. Yeah. Can't they fold up? Like, can IG droids like fold up into like capsules? Sort of. <sighs> that sounds right. I yeah. mean. Like if you like, they don't have much like surface area. They're like bones. So that sounds familiar. Maybe that was in like a, an animated thing at some point. And honestly, Taika, like back in the show, will just bring so much life into the yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, he's really fun. Um, yeah, and he, like he, he just clearly adds, like 
just so much random dude. <laughs> yeah. Like he's got this perfect uh, mix of like reverence for Star Wars and also like he's Taika Waititi. So he's a little bit crazy. And that's kind of what Star Wars needs. You know, it's like yeah, it needs weird. Right. Like it yeah. absolutely does. Yeah. Um. So he's like, I OK, I can't just deal with any droid, even though everyone's telling him like, no, dude, this this dead droid. He's like, OK, we'll take them to the Ancillians, who are, of course, the droid builders. That was Babu Frick in <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker. I don't know that we have had a confirmation that any of these people is Babu Frick, but they're tiny little creatures. And I hate to tell you this, with the exception of like Yodas and Maz Kanatas, tiny little creatures tend to not live too long. But prove me wrong, Star Wars. (laughs) I loved this scene so much. Yeah, I did too. Shame to admit it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I said in my notes, like, I liked this more than like the babu frick scenes in nine just because um i don't know probably because you have a little more time to breathe in like the just the puppetry and like the i don't know the beauty of the the design and the the goofy voices are just so fun um i love how grogu like goes after him and like squeezes like tries like yeah it's so it's so fascinating to see grogu with creatures that are smaller than him and it's kind of like a kid with a cat or a kid with a smaller smaller kid like or a baby like a a kid with a baby like you're like no don't careful no and like i've experienced this as a parent have you with your kids yeah i when i watched the episode for the second time i completely pictured my my son wrapping both arms around my dog and be like you know sammy and uh (laughs) kids kids just want to you know give a big hug and all that so um (laughs) Yeah, it worked for me. Like, you know, it's very twee and goofy, but um, I'm okay with that. I'm a pro-porg, pro-Ewok kind of guy, so. I'm pro-cute anything in yeah. Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, fair. And also, yep. like, just the Grogu moments in this episode just are so good. Like him spinning in the chair and, like, grabbing the space skittle. Like, yeah. Um, but they, they're like, okay. If I get you a new chip, whatever the chip is, memory chip. Yeah. You'll fix like it. That. Yeah. So he leaves and they get in the spaceship and they fly off and Grief is like, okay, bye, weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, he really he likes that a, droid. He really likes that droid. But like, he's also like, uh, this is my weird friend who's incredibly useful. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, and then we get the, the sort of line from... It was in one of the trailers. Being a Mandalorian is not just learning how to fight. You also need to learn how to navigate the galaxy because you never know where you might be headed next. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of this in well, context? People, yeah, people clowned on that line big time in the trailer, which, you know, sometimes people just want to clown on Star Wars. And I've uh, I've been there. Um, but I to me, <laughs> to me, it's like a symbolic thing where, um, you know, you're not talking about like flying a spaceship right you're talking about navigating life you know and and yeah the world which is i mm. i think ryan or i think ryan's been really good about saying that with like ray and kylo and like and, and you know probably finn and poe like the whole cast of the last jedi this idea that they're basically adolescents um and then you know the idea is that they're being challenged in all these ways mm-hmm. so that they can they can navigate the world as a a fully realized adult you know maybe the way luke does in return of the jedi or by the end of it you know 
Any time that a spaceship leaves into space, it's entering into the unknown. We don't know where we're yeah. going to go. We could go anywhere, right? And Grogu is sitting on his lap, mm-hmm. right? What did we talk about Grogu being the elixir? This is his his joy, his love, his compassion. It's all yeah. contained within in front of him. And he is showing these things to Grogu, but they're also in reminding Mando that this is what's important to him and it helps him navigate the galaxy. Yeah. I often talk about how, you know, George talks about when you seek joy, you know where you're heading. It is the thing that helps you navigate your own journey. This is a very symbolic scene. (laughs) I was shocked. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And, and like Din like has never looked like happier or more content than when like Grogu crawls into his lap. Like it's very Yeah. Good well and it, like it it's seems probably relaxed. It's probably Brendan. Yeah, there. probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's more like a uh yeah, it's like he's just um at peace, you know? Yeah. Which in, in Star Wars, you know, <laughs> we're not yeah. often at peace. Um well, we get many of those moments where like Grogu is front and center like where his heart is it's really interesting and and really beautiful too i really love like this also sort of gives the the feeling of being an errant knight on his horse you know with his like small child on his lap and or in front of him and like yeah we're gonna go on random quests we need this hyperspace map but really that doesn't matter because we're about to be attacked but grogu is still on his lap so he has yeah. his direction. Yeah. And they're attacked by space pirates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like this big um, sort of got like a hammerhead bow, I think. And then it's got like tiger stripes on it. Right. It's kind of yeah. cool, cool ship. Um, yeah. Those those ships were cool. Yeah. Um, the uh, oh, what was the name? It was Pirate Vane was his name. Vane was the yeah original the main, guy. Yeah, and, and then, then the we had Goran Shard, who yeah. sort of is like like a salad version of Blackbeard. Yeah, <laughs> like or like seaweed. It was really cool. I thought he was great, but of course, thematically and symbolically and like archetypically, he he represents a predator who mm-hmm. uh is of course danger lurking for what's what's in store for the community next and and of course uh, our mandalorian so this is unfinished business whether it was a cool scene i i was really into the flying around the asteroids and the hunting hunting oh, yeah. and being hunted and kind of all of that oh yeah it like made great use of like all the kind of the music cues that we kind of have heard throughout like mandalorian season one and two but um yeah used them in the context of like a fairly complicated space battle mm-hmm. that we've not often seen in these shows except for like um Andor when uh you know uh what's his name is cutting apart those ships um got him <laughs> which part oh sorry the um well the part where uh Andor's mentor is like, you know what I mean? Flying through. Oh, when he uses the like kind of laser beams and he cuts apart the TIE fighters. Yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And Rael. Oh my God. Yeah, I Luthen. can't believe I. <laughs> Luthen. There we go. Yeah, Luthen. Yeah. It's been a long few months. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, like, you know, 
how do we know that Din has reverted other than the fact that he's relying on parental input more and more? Uh, he has a predator. He has somebody who's chasing him. Interesting. That's a big sign that you've reverted out of your heroic stage. You're back to being an adolescent maiden. I'm picturing like uh, Bill Nye or whoever it is in like Pirates of the Caribbean with like the squid face and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Davy Jones or something. There's a I, there's there's somebody who's going to be hunting him now, right? Interesting. Um and they head to Calvella, which uh this is a this was from canon before. It's been Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like before and it it is of course is a, a Mandalorian world. Um and there's a cool Mandalorian castle there. Very cool. It's sort of like Castle Kaladin from Dune. You know, it's a castle yeah. against the sea. Uh, there was like rain, like it, the helmet was like yeah. all sp- splattered with like raindrops or like maybe it was just the sea mist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought it, it was like raining. Um, it and felt then, very lonesome. Yeah, I have lonesome in my notes. Mm-hmm. The hall is empty. It's, you know, this brutalist architecture. You know, Bo-Katan <laughs> is like, she looks powerful, but she's miserable like all is not well for Bo-Katan. I like, thought she would be drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I joked on Twitter, like the, the Bella uh, new moon <laughs> gif where, where she's like sitting in the chair and like all four seasons, like play out in front of the window or something. Um, yeah. She looks miserable and, and she's not amused to see Din, you know, flaunt the dark saber and, but she doesn't have like that drive and purpose that, she had when we sort of met her yeah. in the Mandalorian. Like she had a plan. She knew what she was going to do. She's like, I got to get the fleet and I just need the, the dark saber. And, uh, but he's like, Bo-Katan, I'm here to join you. It was practically yeah. a proposal. It was really fascinating. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. You like All that. right. I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I mean, but she's like, nah. I got nothing. What do you mean? Like she invited him to this party, right? Like this was all her. Like we're going to retake Mandalore. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Like and you and Boba. Yeah. He's willing to be subservient to her, certainly. Yeah. And we don't we don't see like Casca and the, the dude here. Mm. Like we don't see like she is alone symbolically here. And No, literally too. Yeah, literally. <laughs> other than that, like blue protocol droid maybe or something. Yeah. Just you and your droid. Uh, but yeah, the, the stolen fleet is being manned by the different factions that have gone off and that she had gathered previously. Um, yeah. And she kind of pushes the blame on back on him and like him just happened to being part of <laughs> a weird cult. Uh, he's like, you know, the children yeah. of the watch left long before you did. And and like this really ties to this line of like the factions fractured and sh- shattered our people long before this. Mm-hmm. It's really like... <laughs> There's a language being used and sort of what happens to us psychologically as both people and as a community is we end up being sort of sliced up as we deal with traumatic things that have happened to us and even just growing is traumatic. And part of the the role of, you know, healing that trauma is to reintegrate the different pieces of ourselves and kind of help heal push ourselves back together. And we're getting that language both on the micro level and also on the macro level with like that, that this people is shattered and fractured. Like, so everything is all apart from a 
the Mandalorian perspective. And I think it's really cool. It wasn't yeah. like the episode I was expecting, but a lot of really interesting symbolism and setup was done that I'm looking forward to seeing payoffs for. Yeah, it felt like very confident and purposeful, even though like, yeah, people would say like, oh, you know, it didn't, it wasn't eventful, but I don't know. To me, it it felt like it knew what it was doing, um, which is mm-hmm. kind of all that I ask from a episode one of a TV show. Um, yeah, I liked the the imagery of like the curse and the poison, and so it's like this idea that you know, yeah, things are bad on that planet now, but like we can go and you know, we're gonna do something about it. Um, yeah, and, and like sort of everything that we kind of knew about season three, I I think. I mean, to the extent that I was looking into like, okay, what's going to happen? You know, um, it just seemed like it was like Babu Frick's going to have a cameo. Bo-Katan is going to have some kind of agenda that's going to come into conflict with a lot of people, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and that's kind of the extent that I knew of it. And of course, you've got like Rebels 2 coming in the form of Ahsoka and like all these other shows at some point, mm-hmm. um, theoretically. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's sort of things brewing. Um, Thrawn is out there and, you know, yeah. yet more Mandalorians. So I, I carry about uh Dadalorian and baby show. So <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I'm the same way. I like how it's left. I I like it. I wonder if he's going to try to convince her to like get her poop in a group and uh, and join him. Be like, what what harm could it do? You can always come with me. Let's go down in the mines. Nothing bad will happen down there. It's perfectly safe. You know, the mines are, are, uh, of course, a a symbol of going into the underworld, right? Yeah. Going in to try to find that missing thing, that thing that you need to find in the darkness that will help you become more whole. And, you know, it's interesting that it's the living water underneath the mines. So it's even deeper and there's a... Mm. There's a tie to water and association with being rebirthed, right? Because the underworld is also the womb of the earth, right? So you're going to be reborn in the earth through the living waters, which, you know, it's it, it, it's all there. Mm-hmm. Very, very plain language, John Favreau, but sometimes requires a little bit of a MC translation <laughs> for... yeah. The average viewer to be like, okay, he's talking in weird language again. I'll translate. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, yeah, she she gives him sort of the location, which is like the one proper noun I didn't like write in my notes, but it starts with like an S Y something, and um, and then she says that it's under the the civic center, which to me is like reinforcing that idea of like, okay, the the Mandalorians have to unite and not you know fight under each other, but right. Because civic is like the community. Yeah, I think of like the, you know, the city hall where everybody comes and shouts at each other until like a solution is reached. Um, They have to come together. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I like it. It's I'm excited for next week. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed the episode. Um, You know, good, good team of of creators and writers on this thing. So and directors. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Alex, where can people find you if they are looking for you before next week? Uh, probably just fooling around on Twitter at <laughs> Alex J. Kane, K-A-N-E. Awesome. 
take care, everyone. We look forward to having you back next week. Cheers. Thank you for listening to What the Force. I'm Marie-Claire Gould, your host. Our music is provided by Christy Carew for What the Force. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash whattheforce. We would like to thank all our patrons, especially those who love and are obsessed with What the Force. Melody, Night Huntress, In Wild Space, How Rude, Anna Perez, Neil, Christian Luca, Josh Johnson, Scott C., and Susan. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or leave a five-star review on iTunes or other pod apps. It helps people find the show. Check out our other channel on YouTube, What the Fiction. You can connect with us on Twitter at WT Force Show, What the Force Podcast on Facebook, and our website, whattheforce.ca. We also have a Discord. Links are in the liner notes. Feel free to reach out and start a conversation. Cheers. Cheers.